Who's influencing whom in that? I want you to keep this in mind as we go through today's message, because you can see all kinds of stuff in that clip. There's questions like, okay, is someone influencing someone, or is, is someone resisting influence? Is someone surprised that it's not who you thought was influencing you, but somebody else? That's our message today. As most of you know, I grew up in and professionally pursued the music business. Through the years, I was naturally inspired by many different musicians. Two of them were singer-songwriter James Taylor and jazz keyboardist and composer Chick Corea. Being interested in and following their respective areas of talents was not really a bad thing. In fact, it was great. It was fantastic. I owe them a tremendous amount of gratitude for helping me, for inspiring me to excel in my abilities as a musician. But that's where the relationships should have stopped. Should have stopped right there. You see, because I was so captivated by their talent, I became interested in other areas of their lives, including the fact that both of them were involved in questionable and even cultish institutions. My thinking was that if they were gifted in one area of life, why wouldn't the other parts of their lives be impressive also? It turns out that they were very heavily involved in Scientology, a non, uh, not so good uh, kind of science religion that for me proved to be very destructive. And even though the relationships I had with Mr. Taylor and Mr. Korea were strictly from a distance, they didn't even know me, if it hadn't been for, if I hadn't been with those relationships, if I hadn't done anything other than be simply inspired by them musically, maybe I never would have made that regretful choice. Now God has moved that mistake way in the distant past and beyond that. But here's something I learned. Very important that you get this. We may be responsible for the decisions we make, but we do not make those decisions in a vacuum. There are all kinds of people and ideas and habits and beliefs that tend to influence the choices we make. So if we are responsible for every decision, it's important that we choose our influences very carefully. That's what we're going to look at today. Under whose influence are you? This series is about getting up the field and finding ourselves in a fourth and goal situation. And after that, how do we get it into the end zone? How do we score some touchdowns? We're using as a backdrop a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. He wrote it when he was in a Roman prison awaiting execution. You know why he was there? He was really a bad, bad boy. He was a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why he was there. Paul wrote this letter to his friend and apprentice, Timothy. He talks about what it takes to score the final touchdown. He proclaimed his victory like this. This is the only race worth running. I've run hard right to the finish, believed all the way. This is something we would all love to say, no doubt. 
I did what I set out to do with my life, and I kept on going until the very end. And it's something that each one of us will be able to say if we prepare for that big play in the eternal end zone. One of the steps in that process is to well manage our influences. Today, in the third chapter of this letter to Timothy, Paul shows us three ways that we can run the best route to catch the pass, or hit the right hole to run it in, or call the best play to get our team into the end zone. It can all come down to our influences, how we choose those. First of all, Paul tells Timothy that if we want to take advantage of our fourth and goal situation, we have to learn to avoid the wrong people. This is terrible to say in our PC tolerant society, but we have to avoid the wrong people. Last week, we talked about the Hall of Fame. That was great. The Hall of Famers. But Paul begins chapter 3 with something we might call the hall of shame. It's a list of notoriety detailing the worst behaviors of the worst people. He says that in the last days, things will get very difficult. Now, what he means by last days is the time between Jesus' resurrection and his second coming. It's called the age of the church. He says that this is the direction that human beings are headed toward. People will love only themselves. They will love money above everything else. They'll be proud and arrogant and conceited. And they will love pleasure and ignore God. There are some interesting items on this list, the Hall of Shame. One is being disobedient to parents. Now, why would Paul say this? He wasn't talking to his youth group. He was talking to adults, but... Even adults have an obligation to honor their parents. I'm in my 60s, and I've, you know, moved out of my house a little more than 10 years ago. <laughs> Not really, a lot more than 10 years ago, but, but there's still a sense in which I'm accountable to my mom. I'm still accountable to her. Of course, she doesn't make my decisions, but when I make them, she's in mind. I want to make sure that my choices reflect well on her. That's because I owe her this debt. Now, what Paul is saying, that there will come a time when some people won't think like that anymore. They won't have a sense of obligation to their parents. They'll, they'll do whatever they want, regardless of the impact it has on anybody else. In fact, there are many people today who spend their time griping about how their parents are to blame for the things that they don't like about their life. This is closely related to the next item on the list. Ungrateful. Ungrateful. Now think about it. Paul is talking about the worst of the worst of human behavior, and ungrateful makes the list. Well, if you've ever been around an ungrateful person for any length of time, had to deal with them, you'll know exactly what it means. That's just a bad place to be. This list also includes the word abusive. It's also translated blasphemer, and that's usually associated with how we talk toward God, like a disrespect toward God. But in the Greek term here, it's much broader. It means not just talking disrespectfully to God, but to a human being also. 
Paul is saying that the worst kind of person is the person who loves to hurt others with their words, to belittle, to berate, to diminish, to disrespect. Paul says that in the last days, people will have these negative traits. Now, the truth is, these traits have been around forever, right? But there's one more thing about this group of people that makes them especially insidious. Paul describes them as having a form of godliness, but denying its power. He's talking to religious people. People who, on the surface, have the appearance of respectability, but underneath, they're cold and lifeless. See, we don't like to look very far underneath, do we? Oh, deep down, they're really a good person. That's where we like to stay. If you think Jesus is all mush and no spine, listen how he addresses this kind of person. You're hopeless, you religious scholars and Pharisees. You're like manicured grave plots, grass clipped and flowers bright, but six feet down it's all rotting bones and worm-eaten flesh. People look at you and think you're saints, but beneath the skin you're total frauds. Wow! Wow! That's Jesus, loving Jesus. He can get tough. When we encounter people like this, What do we do? These evil people, what do we do? Well, Paul makes it very plain. He says, have nothing to do with them. Wow. Have nothing to do with them. In another place, he tells us, don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wise King Solomon said, don't hang out with angry people. Don't keep company with hotheads. Bad temper is contagious. Don't get infected. It reminds me of that movie sometime back. Tom Cruise was in it called The Firm. Here he is, a young lawyer fresh out of law school. Gets this great job in a great city, great salary, great benefits. He's working with these high-class people. But he finds out that they're not really who he thought they were. They're involved in illegal activity. They have strong ties with the mob. And Tom Cruise in the movie has to decide... Will I become one of them or will I stay true to the person I want to be? If you want to get into the end zone, you'll have to break some tackles. You'll have to exclude certain people from your circle of influence. I know that's hard. I know that's not the PC thing to do. That's not the tolerant thing to do. But sometimes you just have to do it. Unfortunately, there are toxic people in this world. Now, maybe you'll still have to associate with them sometimes. They may be in your family. (laughs) They may be in your classroom. They may be co-workers. But you don't have to yield to their way of life. And it's not just family and friends and co-workers. It's also certain TV shows, certain websites, certain talk radio personalities. If you spend your time listening to people ridicule others, listening to people insult others, you start to become just like them. Don't let poisonous people influence you. Keep those blockers out in front of you. Put as much distance between you and them as you possibly can. Now, the flip side of avoiding wrong people is much more fun. (laughs) 
Number two, we need to latch on to the right people. We need to latch on to those people. Albert Schweitzer was the ultimate Renaissance man. This guy was unbelievable. He was a musician. He was a theologian, a philosopher, a physician. He won the Nobel Peace Prize. He could have spent his life enjoying affluence and comfort, but he chose instead to spend much of his life serving the poor in Africa, living and working in substandard conditions. When people would criticize him, criticize his methodology or or his theology or whatever his motives were, when they would do that, his response was, my life is my argument. I love that. My life is my argument. I don't have to defend myself. Just look at my life. That's what Paul is basically saying. Timothy, you know what I teach and how I live. You know what I want to do and what I believe. You've seen how patient and loving I am and how in the past I put up with trouble and suffering. Yet the Lord rescued me from all those terrible troubles. Paul is saying, you know me well, Timothy. And my life is my argument. To the church in Corinth, Paul told believers, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Now that's a bold statement to say. But Paul had the courage to say it because his life was his argument. He didn't have to do anything but point to his life. He said, you decide for yourself. I love the story of Drew Manning. You know Drew Manning? He's a, a personal trainer. Like all personal trainers, he's in perfect physical shape. You know, the six-pack, the whole thing, you know. Doesn't look like me at all. Okay. A few years ago, he decided that he would do something to show people this step-by-step way to get in shape, to, get, to come into a healthy lifestyle. So he did something a little crazy. He stopped working out for six whole months, and he ate everything in sight, putting on 70 pounds. During this time, he attracted thousands of Facebook and Twitter followers. And then he began the journey back to health with everybody watching. He told them, if you're fat and you want to be fit, this is what you eat and this is how you exercise. And if you do it the way I do it, in six months you'll be in great shape. He was saying, my life is my argument. And thousands took the journey back to good health with him. If you want to go the distance, look for those whose walk matches their talk and follow their example. Now, here's the truth. It's a whole lot easier to find people to avoid the bad examples than it is to find the good examples. But they are out there. God will bring them into your life if you keep looking for the right person. This person won't be perfect. Nobody is. But overall, their direction will be positive and they are worth imitating. I often ask myself, do I want to be like that person? Do I want to follow this person's example? Do I see in this person the same qualities I see in Christ? When the answer is yes, I latch on. I learn everything I can about this person. 
I do my best to follow their example. When I'm in fourth and goal situations, facing decisions that I'm not really sure how to make, I think about the leaders and and mentors that God has placed in my life. And I ask myself, what would he do? How would he react? How would he handle this thing? There are a handful of godly people whom I have chosen to huddle up with. I allow them to call an audible into my life. And they help me take the ball across the end zone, across the goal line. There's a third thing in choosing the right influence. And whether you already do this or maybe you've never done it at all, I'm encouraging you to stay close to the Scriptures. Stay close to Scripture. In the first few months when I became a Christian, my church showed me how to spend time with God in the Bible. They were really good about this. They, they showed me how to study a passage of Scripture. And then, not stop there, but to ask God how I could apply what I just read to my life in a practical way. I learned right away that studying the Bible was never about warehousing information. It was about living out truth. That's why James said, don't just listen to the word. You fool yourselves if you do that. You must do what it says. This is why Paul tells Timothy to continue living according to what he has learned in the Holy Scriptures. It says everything in Scripture is God's word. Everything is God-breathed, God-inspired. All of it is useful for teaching and helping people and for correcting them and showing them how to live. Now, Paul was talking about the Old Testament, the writings that were around during Jesus' time and before. The New Testament didn't exist yet. It was in the process of being written. But it's interesting, over the course of time, there developed this consensus among church leaders all over the world Old Testament and New Testament, but especially the New Testament was was difficult. They wrestled and wrestled with it, which books should be in, which should not. And when they come up with this thing so unified, it makes me wonder, maybe it's evident that the New Testament is even more so God-breathed and God-inspired for teaching for helping us, correcting and showing. I'm not saying the Old Testament's bad. Please don't hear me say that. I'm saying this New Testament evolved worldwide, and it still helps us today. Hey, look, this is just Coach David telling you to study the Scriptures. Get into them. Spend time in it every day. Let the words of Scripture influence the way you think, the way you believe, the way you behave. Many people, even church folks, treat the Bible like the terms of service agreement. When you get a software package, you know, you know before you can install it, you have to click the checkbox. It says, I have read and agree to the terms of service. Nobody reads the terms of service, right? You ever read that? It prints about this teeny and it goes on and on. Look, I'm saying when it comes to the Bible... Read it. Read it. You will be amazed at how much it can tell you about living a meaningful life. If you've never done it before, 
you'll probably be amazed at how many misconceptions you've had. In another church where I worked, a man, his name was also David, he came into my office one day with an issue he had with me. It was something I did to upset him. He told me that he had never done this before, never ever. And he, he wanted to start trying to do what the Bible tells him to do. So he was referring to this verse about working things out. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him. Work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you've made a friend. Well, he explained what I did, and I apologized. And I even thanked him for coming to me, because I didn't know what I had done until he told me. And, and I would have always wondered, what's this little rift between the two of us? What am I feeling? I thanked him. So here's what happened. He about passed out. He had this look of shock on his face. And he said he had never experienced anything like this before in his entire life. He had always just swept things under the carpet. He had uh, basically just not talked to anybody that upset him and was always running from any kind of confrontation all of his life. Well, it was so cool because we were able to go even deeper than a discussion about forgiveness and reconciliation. We talked about how the things Jesus teaches us in the Bible really work. Isn't that amazing? They actually work. We talked about if we follow those teachings, our lives will be dramatically changed for the better. That's the power of the Word of God. And there's probably a whole lot more powerful illustrations than the one I just told. That's why Paul told Timothy to stay close to the Bible. It has the power to teach you, has the power to correct you and train you, equip you for every work that God wants you to do. Now, some of you are itching right now. You're just itching to get home today and watch your team play, right? Just itching. You're hoping and you're even praying that the training they did this week will get them to score a few touchdowns. Well, what about your touchdowns? What about those things? All I'm saying is that if you want to put some more points up on the scoreboard of your life, then put into practice the principles of Scripture. The conclusion of this. On the gridiron of life, you will encounter many, many voices attempting to gain position, a position of authority and influence in your life. Only a few of those voices deserve your attention. Only a few. You need to watch carefully those who claim to be leaders and watch their lives, not in a judgmental way, but in a discerning way. Asking yourself, is that the kind of person I want to be? There are people out there who have no concern at all for their own character. They just want to manipulate and use other people. Paul warned us, stay away. Stay away. Number two, instead, look for those who match their talk with their walk. 
who can honestly say, my life is my argument. You won't find a perfect person out there, but you will find people of integrity who can speak truth and encouragement into your life. And number three, and most importantly, cling to the Scriptures every day of your life. Spend some time reading the Bible, absorbing its wisdom. If this is a new habit for you and you don't know where to begin, some of you aren't going to like what I'm going to say, but it's a simple way, a starting way. It's probably not their original intent, but even Google can point you in the right direction. Google something. What does the Bible say about such and such? Start reading it. Ask God, what are you teaching me? What do you want me to do? Who or what is your greatest influence in life? You get to choose. You get to choose. Your choice will determine the outcome of your fourth and goal situation. Let's pray. God Almighty, thank you for giving us warnings in the Bible. Thank you for giving us encouragement in the Bible. Thank you for giving us experience with other people around us. Uh, we, We know, we know deep down what's good behavior and bad behavior. And we're so prone to bad behavior, so prone to mistakes. So would you help us, Holy Spirit, to make good choices so we can be around the right influence to lead us toward you, to be like you, to be transformed into the image of Jesus. And it's in that name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, guys, uh, one reminder. There is no foundation class this week. And uh, also the breeze training that was going to be after church, that's postponed too. We'll let you know when it's coming up. All right?